0: Welcome to Mirapaw Taste Buds. We are your buds, Melissa and Emily. And Mirapaw Taste Buds is a podcast about food, our daily lives, and how they intersect. You lost yourself for a second. You're like, where am I?
1: I (laughs) a little bit and to snap back in, tune back in. We just ate a very large meal. I blame
0: it on that. I got a pasta coma happening over here.
1: (laughs) I know. We need to stay with it. Stay focused.
0: (laughs) Sorry about that, folks. All right. Reeling it in. Sorry. Sorry. So sorry. Sorry about it. Mm-hmm. So I boot it mm-hmm. like yeah. a Canadian, true Canadian. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Canadian, but...
1: Tonight we are. Um, let's talk a little bit about what we did just eat, so you're not just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, we had a huge zucchini from our garden that we Massive. came back from a trip to Chicago, and it was just ginormous. So we weren't sure what to do with it. We were thinking about zucchini bread. We decided to do zucchini boats, though. We also had a ton of basil to use, so we made pesto, Made a pesto pasta and did sort of like a blistered tomato caprese sort of vibe. We yeah. covered it in mozzarella cheese and broiled it in the oven for a little bit and like topped it with more fresh basil. And it was such a big zucchini, we couldn't even finish it all. We were we drank some red wine with it. And yeah, yeah. leftovers for days. Yeah, but I feel like I'm going to I highly recommend pesto, pasta, caprese, but what a mouthful. But yeah. Pesto pasta caprese boat A tasty mouth Yeah We also have some desserts From the bakery Which is made by Leah um, That we went to earlier And I don't even know If we're going to get To those desserts tonight Because I'm so full
0: Oh my goodness <laughs> Yeah But so many do- delicacies There too There was a yeah. chocolate Espresso donut Yeah Delicious. we already ate that guy That guy's great Already ate great. that one That one's gone mm-hmm. <laughs> There was a What? Lemon drop pop tart Yeah mm-hmm. Which I love the reinvention Of the pop tart in Yeah like, In
1: an adult fashion Yeah Yeah. She's come
0: back around full circle for us and I'm here for it. Even more delectable. Yeah. Less dusty.
1: Yeah. We did eat I ate one of my macaroons already. There's still one. I could probably fit that in my gullet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That oatmeal Sammy pie thing. I know, that looks really good. I had a bite and it was delicious. Okay. Maybe I can maybe I can
1: muster that. A little bite (laughs) ski. Just a bite.
0: (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, we're in rare form. Yeah. Hmm. But Today our topic is the wonderful Michelin Star mm-hmm. rating of restaurants, which I'm yeah. pretty excited about because this was briefly mentioned by one of our friends and we just could not believe that this was the history. So Yeah, I can't we're... believe I
1: didn't know more about it before, also for some reason. I don't know why I guess I would have never but... questioned
0: it. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. I never
1: questioned it. It's like <laughs> something we've like talked about and just assumed it was a known fact or something. Yeah, <laughs>
0: totally. So it's got a really interesting tidbits about it and we can't wait to share it with you. So let's get cooking. Oh right. yeah. So let's start off by saying that the Michelin star rating is from the Michelin Tire Company.
1: Yes, bomb drop. Who freaking <laughs> knew? <laughs> that blew my mind. I was like, espreken. Yes, yeah, esbrechen. <laughs> we don't I, my friend said that. I was like, oh. I don't, I
0: never associated that.
1: Yeah, excuse me? The Michelin partner? man
0: has something to do with <laughs> fine dining. That man is in restaurants. Yeah. <laughs>
1: the fact that that's the website when you go to look at it and it is that stupid man, that stupid tire man. It's stupid? He's genius. Look at him. Is he? His
0: rolls, he's adorable. He
1: looks like the marshmallow stay puffed man yeah, to it me. He looked
0: like a tire to me. I no, never understood. he doesn't look like
1: a tire at all. I'm <laughs> like, I don't understand what you're supposed to be your blob. Yeah, very odd. <laughs> sorry we're coming for you. I did not know this was going to be just a tear down of your life and personality. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Truly, yeah. Let the man live. The mascot He's a good on.
1: mascot. You're right.
0: <laughs> Anywho, yeah, they're one and the same. I had no idea that this company was responsible for this fine dining rating that we have nowadays. But the original, the idea was originally conceived um, to encourage more tourists to take to the road by using a little guidebook that they had made.
1: Great marketing.
0: Great marketing. Genius off the bat. I don't even. I guess I also didn't words. realize
1: how early this started. Yeah, because this is literally like the birth of the automobile kind of times that we're talking about
0: yeah like at the <laughs> beginning france had 300 automobiles in all of france at conception which actually is probably a lot for that time but like
1: imagine being one of the first people to get like first 300 people to get a car imagine people will be losing their minds how I can't rich were you yeah god damn it's like
0: such an unfathomable thing now when we have like literally probably millions of cars on the road yeah. i do even know but it started in Clermont Ferrand I don't know how to speak french don't check me Clermont Ferrand yeah i don't know <laughs> which is a small french town in 1889 way back in the, way back when when brothers andre and I don't know. Edward. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I can't speak right
1: now. <laughs> the wine and the food has got you. Andre and Edouard. Michelin. No, like, how are we going to say this?
0: <laughs> I love it. In my defense, it's spelled weird. Okay? It's not a W. It's an O. It's
1: French, you damn bitch. <laughs>
0: it's French. <laughs> I don't accept that as an answer. Edouard. Yes. So Andre and Edouard Michelin. Founded their world famous tire company. And it was fueled by this grand vision for the automobile industry in France, where there were fewer, you know, tiny amounts of cars in the country. And they wanted to help motorists develop their trips by boosting car and tire sales. And so they produced these little red guidebooks that would be filled with handy information for travelers. I actually like,
1: read somewhere originally that they were blue and they didn't switch to red until like the 1920s or something and I was oh. like I wonder why that switch happened. I That's thought that interesting. was like kind of a random I was fact. surprised
0: that it was red because that doesn't seem like their brand colors as someone For in, Michelin <laughs> in the branding sphere in industry um, it just seemed like a random color, color but hmm. so I'd believe that it was blue in the back in the day.
1: Yeah. I can't
0: confirm or deny. So take it or what you will. But it was a little guidebook that had handy information like maps or how to change a tire, um, where to fill up with fuel, and also where to find like cool adventures.
1: So hotels and restaurants and stuff. Yeah. Things that that would draw you out of your house, which is like, honestly, was probably such a big deal then because it does take some of the anxiety out of travel. Because imagine like not having this, this accessible option to go yeah. drive somewhere and then it becomes a thing and it's like well what if something goes wrong? Where I'm do on I road? go? what do I do? Yeah, where do I actually go? Like and like the maps even, like yeah. now Legit? we're just I would kind of like to have one today. Maybe not like for maps because
0: obviously your phone does yeah. that now. No, it's just but GPS. How to change a tire? Don't fully know how to do yeah, it. Yeah, but you could just Google that too. Also true. But what if I don't have reception and that's when I need it.
1: Yeah, well you better get yourself a Michelin guide. My God. We <laughs> <At> still <laughs> have that in there. I don't how know. I don't think that's part of it anymore. How sad. Yeah, I guess the first Michelin Guide was compiled in 1900 um, by them. But then, I mean, it went through a lot of additions after that, too, which is kind of cool. It's, just, mm-hmm. it's kept evolving. Like, it could have just kind of died out, but it's it changed and evolved with the star system, I feel like, in that rating system. Yeah. Well, and it just became, became
0: so popular. And it's yeah. funny that, like, I almost feel like the Michelin Star Guide is more famous than michelin tires itself i mean michelin tires is still a massive company yeah still the second largest tire producer in the world Mm -hmm. but
1: i think i think of firestone first for some reason i don't know why i don't have a car i was like
0: i don't even know if that's the first one i didn't look up what what is the first but that's the first one that comes to my mind yeah it's like michelin i think michelin's maybe not as big in the u.s i don't know that That for a fact but seems like a like a statement I would I could make.
1: <laughs> that seems like a blanket statement that you shouldn't make, but all right.
0: <laughs> no one's fact-checking in this podcast, so I can no, say that No, that's real. Thank well. God.
1: <laughs> but I actually there was a really funny anecdote about this because at first it was free of charge and no one had to pay for it, which it was awesome, great, spread it to the masses. Mm-hmm. However, at one point andre michelin arrived at a tire shop and he saw like a huge stack of his guides propping up a workbench and he was like oh hell no and he's like based on the principle that man only truly respects what he pays for he launched it in 1920 and sold it for seven francs like that and was just like no now you have to pay for it because now you didn't value it
0: (laughs) (laughs) and so now you must
1: pay yeah which is really funny to me that's honestly genius again also that statement that man only truly respects what he pays for is so true There's some value to that oh my god and like when you undervalue your work or yourself too at like a lower price even when you're like a artist or, or an entrepreneur or a business person that like sometimes people really are not willing to pay that price but you yeah when you jack it up and you make it look like it's worth more people are more interested oh my god there's something like such about simpletons that. yeah exactly <laughs> it seems more exclusive now because not as many people can afford it like, yikes oh. it's funny what a game it's all a game. it all is a game it's a racket
0: <laughs> i would say at first it didn't really have such a focus on food too right it was more so about mm. you know things you can do along the road how to change your tires um and maybe it had some adventures sprinkled in but as it became more and more popular it, it um, gained more influence and started a, a real attraction for like the restaurant scene. So the Michelin brothers started to recruit a team of mystery diners, mm. or inspectors, if you will. And I prefer mystery diner. I like mystery diner more. <laughs>
1: inspectors it's just so boring. boring. Inspectors, so yeah. serious. Yeah, very serious. <laughs>
0: mystery diners. And the whole thing with these mystery diners was that they would review restaurants anonymously. So I think that was kind of the biggest thing um, that was a major difference because I feel like food critics, you kind of know off the bat that mm-hmm. they're in your restaurant. You can easily... Put on a show. Put on a show, yeah, and, yeah. and you up your game because you know that they're there. A
1: la Ratatouille.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but people think that this was kind of a more authentic way to review a restaurant because it was anonymous.
1: Totally. makes sense. I mean how could you not, like, if you knew <laughs> that person was coming to, like, put on your best show? Seriously. Absolutely. Pull out all the stops, baby. hmm So initially they started awarding them with, like, a single star in the very beginning. And that kind of just to kind of set them apart as, like, a fine dining establishment, basically. And
0: five years later, that hierarchy really changed. And it was, you know, now zero, one, two, or three stars. Um and it kind of had different criteria for each. So one star was typically a very good restaurant in its category. Two <laughs> stars was excellent cooking, worth a detour. And three stars was exceptional cuisine, worth a special journey.
1: I love that, worth a special journey. <laughs> yes. But then obviously, of course, the World War Two had to happen, so that kind of changed things. So it kind of took a little bit of a hiatus during war times, obviously, and... It only resumed late in 1939 because it contained maps that were useful to the Allied forces.
0: Which is so crazy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's wild to think about. I wonder like how
0: many other things <laughs> of that time became usurped by the war, you yeah. know, and just like used for <laughs> questionable
1: purposes. How it changes things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your perspective and everything else around you. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting also because. They also kind of reduced the, the system. So it became a two-start system again because of the food sh- shortages that were happening. And obviously, quality was suffered at restaurants throughout Europe. So they kind of like adjusted the measurement and like the yardstick that they were grading on, which was funny. It's like, grading Nowhere's on a curve. Nowhere's worth a
0: special journey yeah. anymore.
1: <laughs> we're graded on a curve now. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs>
0: but in 1955, Michelin came up with a rating system that acknowledged restaurants with high quality fare at moderate prices. So the Bib Gourmand highlights di- dining opportunities that are more reflective of economic standards, which I think is really interesting. Post-war, we're like, everybody's poor. How can we feed these yeah. people? For- <laughs> Look, this one's a good value, but it's really good still. Yeah, it's <laughs> worth it. I promise. Oh, they were customized by region and country based on the cost of living and gave diners a chance to eat well without breaking the bank.
1: I like that, though. I do appreciate that.
0: Yes, that's... Can we still have that?
1: That's Yeah, what I- bring that back. <laughs> I'm poor. <laughs> it didn't really take hold in America until 2005 and it really only concentrated on fine dining in New York for like very long time. I feel, I feel like that's so recent. Yeah, it is incredibly recent. I thought that was really interesting too. Cause it, it's a pretty big deal to some chefs and some restaurants. It's like very important to them. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's kind of still like relatively fresh that it's like become such a thing. I mean, there's not even that many U S cities cities that are included in it currently. Totally. Um, obviously Chicago is another one. Um,
0: I feel like you it's all the big
1: cities a little bit. A little bit. Kind of not really. Washington, D.C. squeaked in there. Los Angeles. I heard Vegas and San Francisco, which, like, why Vegas? Just D.C.
0: is the one that is strange to me because I'm I like, mean, Vegas that does not strange. seem like a food mecca.
1: Vegas does not seem like a food mecca either. That's like a bunch of, like, celebrity chefs have restaurants in Vegas, but it's like, I don't know. It's <laughs> not a food destination that I'm traveling to.
0: Yeah, that's real. You don't go to Vegas for the food, I feel Washington,
1: like. D.C. is dope and definitely has, like, a, Cool food scene, but I, it's pretty
0: international as our too, nation's isn't it?
1: capital too. I would say you should probably put us on the map and pretend like we have good restaurants pretend there, even like if we, we don't. Yeah, that's. Fair. <laughs> I mean, there are some good, really good ones there. Um, that's fair. But yeah, and obviously San Francisco is a huge one um, as well. Fair. But like Tokyo, Hong Kong, and. Okay, we're added to the guide between 2007 and 2008, but it now covers 28 countries with 14 editions sold in 90 90 different countries around the world, so it's pretty expansive yeah Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting
0: to see how far it expands in the future too. yeah now with the
1: internet and like the power of being able to connect with so many different people and different inspectors or mystery diners and like just expand their reach
0: yeah i imagine the internet like changed this so much too you know Mm -hmm. i mean it goes from a little book to
1: yeah well you don't have to print these either and distribute them like that's literally able to be viewed by anybody if you have the internet and have access to that so Mm -hmm. definitely opens up the pool
0: What do you think about the cost now?
1: (laughs) Yeah, same.
0: (laughs) But during the 20th century, it really became a bestseller. And the guide now rates over 40,000 establishments in over 24 territories um, and multiple continents. And 30 million Michelin guides have been sold
1: worldwide ever since. That's insane. pretty insane. Yeah, that's a huge number. Uh, I thought it was really interesting, too, because sometimes you hear about restaurants losing their stars. And... I did a little bit of digging into that just because I was curious, like why that would happen, and it really sounds like it comes down to like consistency and like if your standards start to slip. So, what a these, blow as a chef! I know it's it does sound kind of sad and unfortunate because it can really affect your business too. Like yeah. some people literally travel to these places specifically to go to Michelin star restaurants. Like oh, we're sure. we have a trip coming up to San Francisco, and I kind of wanted to see what ones were available that I haven't been to yet because I do have several that are on the Michelin like guide that have stars That I'm like, mm, maybe I'll do one of these just because it has the Michelin star. <laughs> um, but I also have like a ton of places I want to go. So who knows?
0: Yeah. But I mean, a Michelin star too doesn't mean that it's not a great restaurant if it doesn't have. It.
1: Oh, 100%. However, the level that some of these restaurants are on is 11. Pretty <laughs> stunning and impeccable from the plating to just the, like, the thought and care that went into these dishes and how much practice and like repetitive testing they've done of some of these recipes to yeah. get it right and to get it perfect definitely sets them a level above some places. I mean, obviously not every place is getting recognized as they should. But yeah.
0: But I mean, uh, these places are in their own right, like incredible. Like these yeah. are 12 course meals or like, yeah. you know, incredible gastronomy that yeah. <laughs> I can't even wrap my head yeah. around. <laughs> All you
1: have to do is really look at the website to see some of these photos of the food to see what kind of like level this is mm-hmm. on. Even too. some of the spaces too. It's just like, wow, the decor is so mm-hmm. wild and out there. And <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, they definitely had fun with it. Mm-hmm. So these inspectors visit pretty often, it seems like. So you don't know who they are. They're just visiting your restaurant, and you always have to be on your A game every single night, which that's hard. Everyone has an off day. Sometimes, you know, staff is stressed, stretched thin, especially in times like this with the pandemic. I can only imagine, like, what some of these restaurants have to go through. So I think in this time especially – I don't know if they're even grading right now because of what the pandemic has done to the world. So true. Um, But it seems like every 18 months or so, they're pretty much coming in and visiting. So if it's flagged as potentially gaining or losing a star, there'll be additional visits. So four Mm. inspections are usually required for a one-star restaurant to gain its second. And then while a restaurant looking for the ultimate honor of three stars will be visited at least 10 times. So you're just like constantly have to be killing it.
0: (laughs) Is the inspector always the same though? Or is it different?
1: No, I think they're sending different inspectors because I think they want to get a a good range of like palettes and like, I guess that is more fair. Yeah. I was
0: thinking that that would be like too subjective, but maybe that is more objective to have different minds all saying the same things. essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Repeating
1: that same. Yeah. Echoing feedback. Mm hmm. And it's thought that less visits are needed for a restaurant that loses a star. So once that first inspector indicates that the restaurant should gain or lose a star, they have to kind of like verify it. But it just sucks that they basically come back to just like make sure, like, yeah, you. Yeah, it. you're still. <laughs>
0: Damn.
1: Yeah. So the the inspector would basically like file a report, and then there's like five criteria that it's typically judged upon. And mostly it is focused on the food. It really isn't about like the environment and the experience, but that does totally still play into yeah. it. I was gonna say that's interesting
0: because that to me is so much of the the experience. restaurant experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if I have terrible service, that speaks yeah. volumes about a place yeah. to me. Or like the ambiance and the cleanliness of a place says volumes. Yeah, but the
1: place that you're in because it's already a Michelin restaurant.
0: It's got to be in- pretty impeccable correct. and amazing. If I they're guess, slipping yeah. on that,
1: there's a That's whole like other problem. That's like basic
0: decency and basic health inspection.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like you'd be fired. Yeah. If you don't do your job well at places like that, like there's a million other people that want that job. That's true. So like you need to be at least professional and like their decorum needs to be correct. Yeah. Yeah, but I do agree. But it, it comes down to essentially skill and preparation and the combination of flavors, mm. level of creativity, the value for the money... And then the consistency of culinary standards. So interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: I really thought it was interesting, too, what you said about... Oh, and about- quality
1: of ingredients. I just didn't... I skipped over that one. I'm sorry. Which is, like, <laughs> obviously very important. The quality of the ingredients. <laughs> My God. That was number one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting how you're talking about, like, in pandemic times, if they're still going out or not. Yeah. I just feel like it's so unfair... To judge right to now. To be judging right now. You know, mm-hmm. like, people have adjusted so much in yeah. this time period that... I just don't...
1: But, I mean, at the same time, maybe these... I don't think they are just because of that. Um, yeah. I mean, think about how many people have new staff that might be there and not have their trained staff with them already. True. Yeah. Or they have reduced staff, reduced numbers. Mm-hmm. It's just not... And, like, they might not be able to even get the quality ingredients that they're used to getting because of a lot of, like... Shortages, shortages. in the pipeline. Yeah, it just isn't... I don't think... I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe they're not stripping people of stars, at least, right now. But they might still be doing visits, but...
0: Yeah. And I mean, these fine dining establishments and stuff, I feel like, are probably still operating mm-hmm. at you know similar levels. You know, maybe like now. those places are already a lot of times reduced capacity because it's like, <laughs> how many people are really dropping hundreds and hundreds of dollars? You'd be to surprised. Go to those locations. It's. I mean, but, but York, that's also the thing is like, rich people are always gonna go to those. Yeah, centers. they're gonna continue to frequent those, the places. Those were they the they first live. people to be vaccinated. Those are the first people yeah. to be out and about. So yeah, I don't know. And, and these are, like,
1: like, major cities. They're huge. Mm-hmm. They're huge. True. And they're seeing a lot of tourist dollars, undoubtedly, as well.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But not everyone is a fan of the Michelin star system. I mean, it's a gr- It's a growing trend to reject the star ratings around the world because a lot of restaurateurs are... Um, feeling that the expectations of the star system is unreasonable and restricts the chef's creativity in the kitchen. And some have even demanded that their star be removed, which I think is wild.
1: When I read that one story, I was like, wait, what? I didn't even know you could A, do that. I did not (laughs) know that was a possibility. I'd be like, what? No. (laughs) If I were the mission people. Um, Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I feel like demanding that it be
0: removed is like also just a little bit dramatic. I mean, like, keep Uh doing you and if they want to remove it they will yeah like you don't have to let it control what you're doing (laughs)
1: agreed yeah don't let it get in your head man mm -hmm. Chill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually was really interested in how to become an inspector or a mystery diner I think that would be like the ultimate job (laughs) um I mean getting paid to eat is and like talk about what you ate is so the greatest gift yeah (laughs) I would love that I mean, we just do this for fun. I was going to say, no one's paying <laughs> us,
0: but we're basically doing it. Yeah, we're doing
1: it. <laughs> we're living the dream. <laughs> um, they typically want people with, like, a professional background, uh, but it could be anything. So they usually want, like, five or seven years in, like, kitchen experience or some sort of, like, food business or something hospitality like that. Yeah, something. hospitality. But uh, they often look for characteristics that are, like, you're extremely observant and passionate about food and, and things like that. And obviously able to travel and, and to travel abroad even. And you like to eat out often. Uh, I thought it was funny because one thing said like, they have to be hundred percent committed to the task of eating in restaurants. <laughs> and then like they said, this may sound easy, but blah, blah, blah. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, it does sound a little bit easy. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. I have to eat food. Sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, exactly. And it's like, oh, you have to eat out a lot again how rough Enjoyable. And, but like if you had a family and I, like alluded to that making it were difficult and i was like i don't think so still I <laughs> still think it's still disagree <laughs> yeah i can eat without them it's cool <laughs> i mean i could
0: see it being more difficult i guess if you had like a family or something like that yeah but. that
1: was the one reason angle i was like okay and fine, like but. dietary
0: restrictions
1: yeah that's the one thing where i'm like i'm not even sure if i could be eligible since i don't eat the meats but mm-hmm. uh, i would hope so I would really hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you do have to undergo some rigorous testing, though, about your like your judgment and your palate. So they do kind of like a background check, and then like a meeting in person, and then they ask you to go for a meal and then write and report about it and what what they observed. And then they'll usually have them like accompany somebody with like in the team and and go with someone else too. So it takes a while to like get through it. It's not just as simple as just like writing a food review and being done.
0: Yeah. I don't think I'd be good at that because I don't know if I pick up enough like subtle notes of things in
1: a dish, you Mm -hmm. know? I think with a little bit of training, though, you probably could. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I'm not really sure what kind of training that would entail, but... (laughs) (laughs) I like to think anything's possible. (laughs) (laughs) And then they do also ask when they judge a restaurant that it isn't just about... The food a little bit. They also do want you to kind of like observe the other things that are going around. Like it is still the whole dining experience, but typically the focus is still on the food. There's a lot of interesting things
0: about the system too. There's what is referred to as green stars. So in 2020, the Michelin Guide launched a sustainability emblem, which symbolizes the excellence in sustainable gastronomy, which like who even knew that was a thing I, don't know. I love
1: that they're looking at that now though it's I mean, amazing yeah it's, it's very important.
0: 2020 <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. well that's also uh, as someone who tries to eat on the healthier side and like more organic stuff too like i'd like to know that it's coming from maybe a local farm or like a more sustainable practice and then it isn't just like fucking the environment
0: yeah I mean, we're all trying to be so much more eco-conscious nowadays that we need that kind of information to make more informed decisions. Absolutely. But I like what I also really liked about the Green Stars is that the establishment that's awarded them is given kind of the opportunity to describe the restaurant's vision and talk about, you know, how they're trying to be more sustainable and eco-friendly, which is really great.
1: Another fun fact is the chef with the most stars is Elaine Ducasse. He's a French-born gentleman, but he has restaurants that span over six countries. And um, he's obviously French, so he has a couple more there than other places. But I think he has like twenty stars or something like that, which is just absurd to think about having that many.
0: Yeah, that's pretty wild. Also, yeah. to have restaurants in that many countries, I'm like, what? Yeah, or it is what is wild. the theme of all of them, and what are they all? What are the experiences? You know, I feel like. It always amazes me how different of experiences a chef can give you in each of these restaurant experiences. You know, like, even though they may specialize in a certain cuisine, they still have all these restaurants that kind of span different
1: Yeah, I'd be curious to see what his other vibes are because he has three in Paris, two in province, and then he has one in Monaco on the French Riviera and then one on the other side of the English Channel in London. And then he has some further away in Asia, Japan, and like Hong Kong and things like that. So like, are they still French inspired? Like, I would love to see what those like menus, how they compare, are too. Mm -hmm. But the the one chef that I knew had the had the most stars is Gordon Ramsay. He has sixteen, but he actually was stripped of two at his restaurant, The London, in New York, um, in 2013. And I said I read like an article that said he cried when he. Found out that and I was like, oh, because <laughs> it just proves like how serious these chefs like do kind of take these ratings and yeah. things that came from a tire company, yeah, trying to sell tires tire company. <laughs> and cars. <laughs> Absurd, <laughs> I know what a marketing ploy that really worked. I just can't even believe that, it still mm-hmm. blows my mind. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <sighs> there are actually currently 135 three star Michelin restaurants around the world. I wish I could, like, go on a tour de force that I'd just, like, go to all of them. Because imagine how stunning all those meals would be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, France and Japan are the countries with the most, boasting about, I think, 29 establishments each, which is pretty crazy. But obviously, it started in France, so, like, it's not that shocking. Yeah. there is like, French cuisine is so, I don't know. See, that's one of the things I also read that they... Say about it negatively is that they cater more towards the French style of cooking. Yeah, so they kind of that's like, one it's way. A little bit of favoritism and nepotism in that sort of way. Mm-hmm. And I also heard there was also sort of like a racket with the whole Japan thing that they were trying to sell more tires or something in Japan. <laughs> so they started raiding more restaurants there or something. And I was like, that could also be true. It is all just kind yeah, of yeah, like, it's impacted by yeah, that now. That's it's interesting.
0: all a racket. <laughs>
1: But the U.S. comes in second with 14, and then followed by Spain and Italy, who both have, I think, like 11 each or something. So, hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we've eaten at – or I've eaten at a couple. I'm not sure. I don't think I've had it. No? Okay. <laughs> well, in Chicago, I know I've eaten at Alinea, Sepia, Topolobampo, and Parachute. And those all, I think, have one star. Or maybe – listen, Alinea, I think, has maybe three. Yeah. Oh, shoot. I forgot. Either way, Alinea definitely the top of the list. It's an insane experience. We were talking about it a little bit before we recorded this episode, and um, I ate at, like, the like, chef's table, like, in the kitchen. And I've just – I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Um, it was theatrical. It was otherworldly. Like, you – we literally, like, left the table for a second, and they, like, changed out everything on the table while we were having this, like, little amuse-bouche in the kitchen. And – when we came back it was just like a whole new experience there was a lot of different like things that were literally just aromatics just smell there was like dry ice and things that were like emitting smoke and things and um, they definitely did the dessert where they like painted all over um the like table with so, uh, yeah it was just it was on another level i wish that i could experience it again because i definitely imbibed too much Beforehand and during and was just like (laughs) I don't remember enough of it I looked back at the menu because I saved the menu because it was really just kind of beautiful and really cool and I need to look back at the photos because I I can't even recall some of these dishes they're just really inventive though I feel
0: like a place like that is so otherworldly though it's like no matter how much you may be imbibing and drinking like it still is so hard to wrap your head around and like
1: it goes by so fast. It's like one yeah. of those things that you just like blink and it's over. And you're like, what was that? What did I just experience? <laughs> it sounds wild. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite shows is that Chef's Table show on Netflix. And a lot of those restaurants are ones that end up having Michelin Michelin star ratings. I've, I've noticed. Mm. And that opened my eyes to just like the level of detail and, and expression and creativity and things that these people were really trying to like. It's art. There's nothing else to say besides it's it's art. Yeah, and I love that. It's so magical. There's a bunch of places still in Chicago that we want. I want to go to. I, I like wrote a bunch down when we were researching this, so I can go back, um, and kind of look those places up. And they I think they added a few this year too or recently, which I was like awesome. That I have to see, but I. I haven't been to too many in California and we are going to San Francisco soon. So I was like, maybe I'll cross another one off while we're there. I have had state bird provisions, which is excellent. Um, I think it's kind of like a take on almost like dim sum esque mm. where like there's carts going around and you can kind of like, do you want this? Yes, I do. Yum. Do you want that? Give yes, me I do. It. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just a really fun experience to have those things going around and being like, mm-hmm, put it on my plate. <laughs> and then like kind of like keep a tally sheet at the end and like total it all up. Um, but and then I also had. I had the Bouchon Bakery in Yountville, which we say that that's like really beautiful like French style um, bed and breakfast which was just like super awesome and romantic when I was um, with one of my my exes and uh, we went to the bakery in the morning but I mean anything that Thomas Keller does is insane like French laundry I, I want to go there really badly but even just the Bouchon Bakery I was just like amazed by the pastries and things there so mm. Definitely, what definitely want to go back there just to experience some more things in California and San Francisco specifically because I love that city, so I'm excited to go back. Yeah, I have never been, so I'm very, very excited to get there and, mm-hmm. and experience a lot of those things. Yeah, definitely. I think what's really cool about the Michelin star ratings is just that someone took the time to start collecting that stuff mm-hmm. um, because... And even like the Green Star thing, how it's kind of evolving and continuing to add accolades for restaurants like that. I think it's really weird. It came from a tire company in cars. And yeah, that that is a weird tie. Mm -hmm. But it has helped to like single out some of these places that are doing really amazing stuff. Yeah. Which is cool. That's so true,
0: I also love that like despite it being kind of a, a consumeristic effort yeah. to, to push more tires <laughs> onto people, it also was about going out and exploring your yes. your community and your local spots and not and, being afraid
1: to like, hit the road yeah
0: yeah, and there's something beautiful about you know a road trip
1: that is so true <laughs> cheers to that cheers to that yeah, I love that <laughs>